as we think about Mary's experience, minoritized in the Roman Empire, she has layers of lack of power. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. We'll have two episodes back-to-back this week. This episode is for the fourth Sunday of Advent, which happens to fall on Christmas Eve this year. And tomorrow's episode will be about a text for Christmas, the Feast of the Nativity of the Lord. This episode, we have Almeida Wright, Associate Professor of Religious Education, and Kate Ott, Lecturer in Practical Theology. They're discussing Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, which is appointed for the fourth Sunday of Advent in year B. The text is read for you by liturgical minister of Marquand Chapel, Michael Liebenau Macalintel. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy, he will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. So whenever I read this passage again for the first time and I see the virgin's name was Mary, it just draws me back a moment. Thinking about all of the ways that women differently across racial ethnic groups are thought of when we think in this dichotomy a virgin, not virgin. And clearly in our Christian tradition, thinking about Mary versus Eve. Mm. What's the significance of Mary's virginity? Clearly, it's trying to send this message of purity, of not, quote unquote, being defiled before giving birth to Jesus. But why? Why is that needed? I mean, if God is God, then does virginity matter at all in this? To me, it just seems to contribute to the questions of how we think about women, how we categorize them, degrade them. But if it does matter, 
perhaps it matters to make us stop for a moment and ask questions about how we do that. And maybe also helps us think back to putting Mary in her historical context. Granted, being a teenager at the time and getting married would not have been out of place. Mm -hmm. But as we think about Mary's experience as a teenager, as a Jewish woman who is betrothed, minoritized in the Roman Empire, she has layers of lack of power in this experience. And it it does make me wonder, right, was the betrothal out of love? Mm. Was it money? Was it family relationships, some form of survival. Thinking about all of those pieces in the historical context, to me, really adds a richness to the question, not only of how Mary responds in this moment, but how might we think about the many ways that young women, girls, in our own congregations and contexts, navigate these exact same issues on a daily, weekly basis. Your situating Mary inside of this historical context is very helpful to me, partly because whenever we read this, we immediately theologize what it means to have this enunciation or this, you know, powerful spiritual moment instead of actually thinking about the practical implications of what it would look like for a young girl who's betrothed to realize that her betrothal might all unravel in a matter of moments, and she's like, I've done everything right. I have figured out or tried to figure out or navigate the systems and structures as they are set up for me to advance, to continue in a society in which I don't have many options or choices. And that's, I think, an interesting conundrum because we are constantly thinking, like, even if we fast forward to contemporary times, Young women and girls do not still have as many choices as we would hope for them, even in a world where it's set up where it's like, oh, you can choose to be anything. Mm, But who's supporting that? Or how are we really allowing you to make mistakes or to be put in positions where you feel that you don't have to be perfect all the time? Because the other read for me of virginity is a read around whether or not There is this constant expectation that girls will be perfect all the time and whether or not that will play out in particular ways here in this context. But the other side of this passage, I will be honest and say that I don't often sit with this passage very often in the sense that it's a part of the Advent narrative, but the the Lucan passage of coming to Mary is a little problematic for me because it always reads like an interesting exchange where Mary is coming together and there's a lot of mansplaining. So Mary comes by Gabriel, uh, uh, by Gabriel right? And so Gabriel comes in and Gabriel's saying, I've got this, you know, news for you. And then you can read the passage very quickly and rush to the fact, oh, yes, Mary is now. And then you, because right after this, you get Mary's song of praise. But for me, interestingly enough, I try to slow down the reading of this particular passage because, and to imagine when the angel, if an angel was come to you, what would that be like? What would it be like for you to have this type of encounter? And it's not going to be as quickly as it takes us to read those few lines or those few passages. Instead, for her to move from a place of this first encounter to a place of 
acceptance. I can imagine would take a great deal of mental gymnastics, a great deal of wrestling with what is, a great deal of soul searching for a lack of a better word. <laughs> and so that's always this interesting thing because I remember reading this and, you know, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. I can imagine a teenage girl in any context saying, what? Come again? I can't even. And the 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 ways that that then she's able to move and and even just the and there is something in the text that says Mary was perplexed by these words and 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 tried to figure out what this would mean. But even perplexed or pondering seems to sell it short of what might be happening in in a text or in a in a situation like that. You know that in any chance I could get to do a little bit of sexuality education for a congregation, I'm going to I'm going to take it. And I think from what you said exactly from that point, we can ask ourselves about the issues of consent mm-hmm. in this passage. As we think about young people hearing this passage or anyone in a congregation hearing this passage and thinking central to our narrative of the Christian story is God sending an angel mm-hmm. to say, I know you had plans. They've changed. You're now going to have the son of God. That doesn't fully sound like consent. Right. That doesn't sound like participating in the story. That sounds like being told. And when it comes to birth, that is not what I want as a message for folks to be hearing. Right. Birth should be a choice, should be something that young women, the young pregnant people, any pregnant person with their loved ones make that choice and embrace it. Mm hmm. And we should have communities that support that. Now, we do get to the point in this passage that is one reason I like the Lucan version of this, is that Mary says, well, first, we get the angel again saying, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. So we don't know the details around that at that moment. Mary doesn't have any idea. But we get some community brought in there. Right. Right. So this isn't you're going to go through it alone. But Mary, you have community now. Go see your cousin Elizabeth. After that is when Mary says, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. That for me is a key verse in this passage where if we think of consent as social power, which is what I think of it as. Mm -hmm. Because we can, I think we sometimes mythologize it as as sort of physical power, the ability to push someone back and say no, but really consent happens in a social relational way prior to that. Right. And so if we think of consent as social power, it's the moment where Mary, who has very little to no social power in this moment, takes that little space that the angel has left open in the message to say, oh, I'm going to say yes to this, Hmm. and you're going to hear my yes. And I love the fact that as Christians, we keep that as part of our story and our narrative. This is followed by Mary's song, which I can never again read differently after having read Tracy West's Disruptive Christian Ethics text, where she takes Mary's song and asks us to think with it as we would with the narratives that we have about young women on welfare in the United States, Mm -hmm. mostly black and brown women, and saying, 
Mary is talking about the lowly being lifted up. Mary gives us a guide for how we should be responding to women in her position who are there in our socioeconomic circumstances now. Mm -hmm. And I invite us all as we reread this passage for Advent to think with that narrative. And that is the power of this text because it's the, for me, it's the juxtaposition of Mary and Elizabeth, people, two people groups that would ordinarily not be the ones that you consider to be the ones who would be birthing people. And so to have them both almost at the ends of spectrums, creating this community that is what's ushering in this new vision or this new reign of God is is a profound one and one that I think is actually something to be celebrated and, and excited about. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, yalebiblestudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.